All right, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 8. Um, as we turn there, why, why do I need two mics? As we turn there, um, uh, let me just remind us where we were last week. Last week we started into a section of Isaiah, which we said focuses on the question of who are we going to trust. And uh, the king of Ahaz in chapter 7 faced this question of trust, specifically when the kings of Syria and the northern tribe of Israel formed an alliance and came to lay siege against Jerusalem uh, in this plan to depose Ahaz in favor of a non-Davidic puppet king. Um, in this context, uh, Isaiah went to king Ahaz and gave him God's commands to, as it says in chapter 7, to be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Ahaz had a great opportunity to exercise faith, and God even tells him, ask for a sign, anything. Let me prove to you that I am on your side. But instead, he refused using a religious pretext about not testing God rather than um, exercising faith in God's promises. Instead of trusting God's perspective that these two uh, kingdoms, the kingdom of Assyria, kingdom of Syria, and the kingdom of, of Ephraim, rather than seeing God's perspective that these two forces were on their way out, uh, he instead trusted in human politics, turning to the king of Assyria for deliverance. And, and indeed, in one perspective, he was right. The Assyrian king did indeed destroy Syria and Ephraim, but that same Assyrian king would unleash destruction upon Judah. Ahaz placed his trust and put the kingdom of Judah into the hands of a hired razor that would ultimately shave his kingdom completely bare. And the chapter 7 ended with this description of rich agricultural lands that reverted to nomadic grazing in a wilderness as the land had rest from the sinful nation. And it was at this moment in this failure of trust on the part of the king of Judah, that God gave us that wonderful little prophecy in the middle of the book, this prophecy of Christ's birth in the middle of chapter 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It's in this promised child that there's the hopeful promise of the immediate presence of God who will shield his people from their foes. And today we'll see that promise again um, with this promise of God with us, this promise of sanctuary for those who trust in Emmanuel, even as Isaiah and, and his wife give birth to another son that forebodes the destructive coming of the king of Assyria. So let me uh, read chapter 8 and then I'll pray. Then the Lord said to me, take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeber, 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 
Jabarakiah, thank you, I needed some water there, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name Maher, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloah that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Ramaliah, therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory, and it will rise over it, all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah, it will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of his people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people cause conspiracy, and do not fear the Lord, do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it, they shall fall and be broken, they shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do come this day to worship and to praise you. But we confess, like the people of Judah, our hearts often melt at fear at the things going on in the world around us, that we're dragged down by every wind of conspiracy or every 
uh, plot that we imagine among men's hearts, and we seek after human remedies to address these things. But your command in us is to trust. To trust that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us. And that when God is with us, who could stand against us? Lord God, it's so easy for us to be blinded by the daily concerns that buffet us. But we ask now, as we study your word, the words that you gave to your prophet, that you will speak to us, that you will fortify us by your teaching. Fortify us by your words of hope that you would fortify us and help us to seek sanctuary in the God who dwelt among us, who dwelt among us in the presence of Jesus Christ, living a perfect life, dying to pay for our sins on the cross, and rising again that we might have newness of life eternal through him. Please send your spirit among us now as we open your word and try to understand it. May we not just be curious with our minds, but may our hearts be instructed and our wills um, informed that we might do what is right and pleasing in your sight. We can't do it of our own strength, but as your spirit-filled people, um, make it so. Even as we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right, so another chapter, another birth. So why does Isaiah give, give such weird names to his children? So in chapter 7, it was Shi'ar Jashub, which means a remnant shall return. Don't see that one in too many of the uh, uh, class attendance rosters. Um, and Mahar Shalal Hashbaz, um, which uh, it, it's literally um, uh, the spoil speeds, the prey hastens. Um, the, it should actually be speeds the spoil, hasten the prey, um, because the verbs uh, should come first. But... Um, so why, what's the point of these um, prophetic names? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, the assumption is um, that it's his wife. And, uh, and we can talk about why maybe she's called the prophetess. Um, you know, as I was thinking about it, you know, is it like a title that, you know, he's the prophet, so, you know, what do you, Mrs. Prophet, prophetess? But, I mean, but as we think about these, these names, she is in a sense, I mean, in a very literal sense, she's a prophetess. She's giving birth to prophecy as we think of, the, you know, the ch child itself, physical presence is a prophecy. So, I mean, it, I think it's helpful to sort of think start by thinking of in what sense is she a prophetess she's giving birth to god's word um in 
a very literal sense. God has, has given this name to Isaiah. She gives birth to what God has told him uh, to name this child. Um, so in a very real sense, she's a prophetess. Um, she is giving birth to God's word. So why the weird names? What do you think? Yeah. Well, not to your face. <laughs> yeah, so the cultural practice of having names that bear real meaning, that's foreign to us. Um, yeah, Jonathan. didn't I think of that? <laughs> Man, we need to have more children. <laughs> Whoever publishes my book, that's the, what the next child's name will be. Um, yeah, to, to think about marking a specific time. And, you know, and as we think about, um, you know, these are, are going to be, um, you know, just to give, like, to write a word on a tablet, you know, sort of, that's kind of temporary, you know, or to me, just kind of to stand up here and give you a Sunday school lesson this morning, you know, some of it might stick, but, you know, who knows how much you're going to remember next week, a month from now, a year from now. But these children are going to be around for a while. And that prophetic word is going everywhere they go. And just as Jonathan says, you know, in other cultures to sort of pin the birth of a child to a specific historic moment. These children are, are still going to be bearing the name. Notice that, um, that before the child knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. So, you know, connecting that name to a very soon event, um, you know, within, um, you know, what, start talking about around a year, you know, a little before, a little after, you know, so one to two years, you know, part of this prophecy is going to come to pass, but the child is still going to remain. He and his brother, the remnant, shall return. So, you know, it's going to be reminding the people that what's going to happen to um, Ephraim and what's going to happen to um, Syria 
is also going to happen to them. That, you know, we've been told that Assyria is going to hasten after the kingdom of Judah. And people are going to forget uh, what Isaiah said on, you know, June 16th, you know, whatever year. But there's the spoil <laughs> speeds, the prey hastens. Um, you know, they're going to be walking around, living testimony to what God is telling um, Judah at this moment. Yeah. Um, I, I have to admit, um, I'm going to have to plead ignorance on this one. Um, it's, again, it's a prophetic action. So just like the naming. So, um, so in one sense, it's communicating that he's giving them the message uh, of the name, you know, because it, it's, you know, it's sort of timing. The Lord said to me, take a large tablet, write on it in ca common characters belonging to Maher Shalal Hashbaz. So, I mean, that in itself is a prophetic action to take one of these tablets. Um, they're they're kind of like um, the billboards of the ancient world. So, you know. So he's, he's putting up a, a billboard, um, writing on it in, in common characters, so characters that everybody's going to be able to understand, and it's going to have witnesses, so it's going to be authenticated by, um, uh, by Uriah and, and Zechariah. And then he goes to the prophetess. They conceive nine months later a child. So the tablet is giving this word of prophecy, and then the child comes along as a further, um, as a further living embodiment of that prophecy. Yeah, I think it's just the headline. Um, and it's the headline, I think, of, of kind of the prophetic message that we're getting in 7 and 8. Again, this, this emphasis on who you're going to put your trust in. You know, in the political situation of you know, the, the king of Syria and the king of the northern kingdom of Israel allying together, you know, is that what you're going to fear? Is, you know, is that what you're going to worry about? Um, is the king of Assyria who you're really going to trust? Um, instead, trusting in the king of Assyria is going to hasten the spoil. You know, it's going to speed destruction. So that's how I, I mean, I don't have, it, it's kind of, um, yeah, kind of fuzzy because it doesn't have as much detail as the rest of it. But the way I see it as he's giving a prophetic word and then he, he gives birth to a child who, who is the living embodiment of that prophecy. All right, anything else we want to say about the names? You know, writing these in your baby book for, yeah. Future children, grandchildren, suggestions. I dare you to suggest it to somebody. Um, now, as we think about the birth of this child, um, we saw uh, um, a birth back in chapter 7. And a lot of the same language that Isaiah used to describe um, the birth of um, Emmanuel she shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel in chapter 7. Um, in this chapter, 
she conceived and bore a son, so same phrase, uh, just as in chapter 7, before the boy knows, and chapter 8, before the boy knows. So he's giving us these linguistic connections between these two children. So what is the connection between these two births? The birth of God with us and the birth of um, the spoil speeds, the prey hastens. Are these disconnected? Are they connected? Some people have wondered, are they this really the same child? Um, what, what's the relationship between these two births? Idea? No idea? <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, they're both prophecy. Um, and they're both, again, prophecy both of very recent events, but also events kind of one step further. Um, just as we sort of talked about Emmanuel, it, you know, gets a very short time frame before the boy knows how to refuse evil and choose the good. The land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. And in this case, um, before the boy knows how to cry, my father, my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. So they're both um, prophetic births and talking about things that are coming soon, but then they both have these applications later on because um, we know Assyria is going to come after Judah after taking af out um, Ephraim and uh, Syria and we know Emmanuel. Well, we know Emmanuel refers to something a little later on. Yeah, and notice how um, it, it's fourfold, you know, just as Maher Shalal Hashbaz, four names, four different words that are linked together, so that, as the passage James pointed out in, in, in chapter 9, verse 6, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, you know, so four wonderful names of promise that Emmanuel brings and four words of destruction that um, Maher Shalal Hashbaz brings. And yet they're both, you know, the, the kind of two sides of this coming. And we see those two sides later in this chapter with, you know, the sanctuary is also the stone of stumbling. Um, that it's not, well, you know, there's a sanctuary over here, and then there's a stone of stumbling over here. So go to the sanctuary. It's the sanctuary and the stone of stumbling are the same, same thing. And it's are you going to flee to it or are you going to trip over it? Um, you know, is this God going to be uh, the one who's hastening the, the hastening the spoil that's speeding destruction, or is it the God that's bringing salvation? 
falling on you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and again, it, it seems in this they're still racked by in this chapter, um, as we'll see in the second half, by the same kind of fears, the same kind of worries about conspiracy, um, the things he told them, you know, in the last chapter: be quiet, <laughs> you know, trust. And they're still, oh, but they're conspiring <laughs> against us. And he's saying now it's. You know, their destruction's even closer. It is muddled, um, but I think the reason I, I take it as the first child in chapter 7 referring to Emmanuel is that Shear Jajab is actually old enough that he can accompany um, Isaiah to go out to see the king. Um, you know, so it's, and so when it's talking about the, you know, the connections between these two births, um, it's the birth, for me, it's the birth of Emmanuel and the birth of because the birth language is the same, because it, it's presupposing Shear Shub is old enough to go out with his father to go out and see the king. Um, but anyway, you're right. It's it's not, yeah. It's it's not as clear as as maybe I'm putting it forward. But there there are lots of ways we can sort of think about it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the way that, uh, again, even with both these children, you know, um, with Emmanuel, um, you know, he's telling them in this chapter, you know, um, fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Take counsel together in verse 10, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. So, I mean, even though Emmanuel, you know, God with us in Christ hasn't come yet. He, it's true for Judah then. It's more true <laughs> later on. I mean, it's the way, it's the, always the mind-blowing thing for me about prophecy as God can say a word, and that word, you know, describes now, describes 10 minutes from now, describes 20 minutes from now, describes 20 years from now, describes 200 years from now, all with one word. 
Um, and I think we see that here. And, you know, because the name, Maher Shalal Hashbaz, it refers both to the coming destruction and very quick destruction, um, as Scott pointed out, of, of this alliance. But later on, he's going to apply it to the coming destruction of Judah, you know, at the same hands. You know, again, that's the irony. Ahaz has put his trust in Assyria to come destroy his enemies, and Assyria does come destroy his enemies, and then it comes to destroy Judah. <laughs> you know, it's, um, you know, it's just that, that name, and that child is going to be around and bearing that name even after the kingdom of Ephraim no longer exists. Um, even after the capital of Samaria is fallen and gone, that child's still going to be walking around, taking, I mean, as you say, Victor, you know, the prophecy is God's word, and this child is, is kind of a living, physical word of God walking around that, that continues for the people to continually be pointed to this prophetic, living sign. Yeah, Bill. Yeah. And so those two births kind of in the future really are pointing to Christ. Yeah, and here in that part, you know, talking about um, this comparison between, you know, the sure portents that he's given in these children. These the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And notice what the next verse is. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? So it's the way, again, that these kids are living, walking testimonies of God's word. Um, they're, they're living signs of God's truthfulness that God has given Isaiah and the people of Judah. And rather than exercising trust in the word from God, you know, they're in the midst of these conspiracies, they're turning to necromancers to speak with the dead, they're turning with mediums, they're turning to other gods, they're turning to all these other sources when, you know, the picture is that God's word is standing right there before you. Um, why are you fleeing after all these other things when that sanctuary is right there before you? Um, well, good. Well, let's um, work into this next image. Um, what does God mean in, in verse 5, uh, or verses 5 uh, through 8, where he gives us this picture um, Isaiah, he tells Isaiah that the people have rejected the waters of Shaloah and that the river will sweep over them. So the waters of Shalola, the people have rejected, and a river will sweep over them. What does that mean? What does the image look like? 
Okay, we start with the image and then we start maybe. So we've got the waters of Shalola that flow gently and the waters of this river. James. Yeah, the spring just outside Jerusalem. And it's the spring when Hezekiah, so it hasn't happened yet um, uh, in this point in history, but Hezekiah, who comes after Ahaz, is the one who's going to build that tunnel to basically funnel that spring into the city. So it's part of the city's water supply, um, but right now it's, it's outside the city's walls. So it's like God's given them water, but it's, it's, it's there, but it's just outside the walls. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be up to your neck. Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Victor. It's this comparison between God's near provision, the spring very near to them, uh, it, with gentle flowing waters, but from a worldly perspective, seems insignificant. Oh, it's just a tiny little spring, and oh, it's 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 outside the city walls and and you know so we've got to go outside jerusalem to to get to the water um but over there that river um and and i like how some translations will capitalize river there that you know kind of put you know that river is mighty um you know that river it will really be able to provide and sustain and as you say the irony is that river comes and destroys. Um, and it's this way they're trusting in the, the things of this world um, to sustain them rather than this very near sustenance, as you say, that God has given them. And they're looking, you know, they're looking in human terms. That seems like foolishness. You know, piddly, piddly little spring. Um, this is a mighty river, you know, which one are you going to choose, you know, the mighty river, um, you know, but they're looking at, that's from the world's perspective, you know, from the perspective that, that God is giving Isaiah to bring to them. No, that stream, that little stream, that's all you need. Um, that's what sustains you. I thought I saw a hand over here. Yeah, Jonathan. Yeah, and again, it's this, um, you know, the perspective. You know, are you going to look at these things from, you know, the perspective of right now? You know, this seems small, 
this seems mighty. Or you're going to look at it from this, this larger perspective. Well, what you see as small and insignificant can actually, you know, wreak havoc <laughs> um, or sustain you for eternity. Yeah, and, and sometimes you get the interpretation, this is this comparison between Shaloa and the Euphrates, you know, to make that even more, sometimes Euphrates gets translated in there for the river, to make that even more explicit. Um, you know, are you going to reject the God who's created and sustained you in exchange, you know, for one of these kingdoms that doesn't need God because they have, you know, they're, yeah, they have the Nile and the Euphrates. They have something that allows them to, to exist without God, where the promise here is you have the opportunity to have God with you to be your sustenance. Um, and yet, you know, they're running after, you know, and that's what we're going to see throughout the book of Isaiah. They're running to the Assyrians for help now. Later on, they're going to run to the Egyptians for help from the Assyrians. Um, and it's the way they are kind of being tossed about <laughs> rather than that idea we saw last week. If you're not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. Um, good. Anything else we want to say about our, our water courses here? All right. Well, let's um, take a, a quick look at the second half of the chapter just because we've started to refer to it a couple of times. Um, and just to you know, notice again this idea that he gives in the middle that all the counsel of the powers of the world um, comes to nothing. They speak a word, but it will not stand. They plot together. They strap on their armor. And if God doesn't want what they want, it's going to be shattered. Um, so this kind of sovereign control that he gives us. Um, in, in verse 11, uh, the Lord, uh, I, I love this picture, with a strong, with his strong hand upon me. So the Lord speaks to Isaiah with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. So how specifically do we see the people walking and what does it mean for Isaiah to walk differently? So how are the people walking? Uh, maybe you can start there and then think about what's the remedy. So what does it mean when God tells Isaiah not to walk in the way of this people? Yeah, the slavery to circumstances. Um, you know, this, this do not call conspiracy all that this people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. Um, it's the way that, I mean, if you've ever been in a work situation or, you know, um, you know, politics in the nation where, you know, conspiracies, how they just sort of like start connecting, even the smallest things like the color. Did you see what tie he was wearing? You know, that's clearly a sign that, you know, 
they're linked up together and they're conspiring against us. Um, yeah, it's this way that it's reacting to circumstances and, and, and such fear that even the most minute detail serves as a clue to, 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 to some unseen plotting. Good. What else? Or how else are the people walking? Yeah. Yeah, and so, and, and notice this, they go from conspiracy in the first part of this last section to, you know, divination in the second half. Um, you know, so you can see how the conspiracy, um, this, this kind of constant fearfulness uh, indicates a, a lack of trust that God is either willing or able to help them. And so... They're, they're turning to other powers, you know? Well, what, where can we get some, some word on this? Well, let's go ask the dead. Let's go ask um, uh, the mediums to read the entrails of, of some kind of animal and tell us what the future is going to, to bring. Um, and to sort of see these things not as separate acts, but again, this kind of, this, it's the same attitude. Uh, it's the conspiracy that we see in verses 11 uh, through 15 that leads to the divination that we see in the last part of the chapter. Good. Other ways the people are walking? So what does it mean to walk differently? So if Isaiah is not supposed to walk like this, what is, how is he supposed to walk differently? Yeah. Note, and it's interesting, the contrast isn't um, that you're supposed to, in the midst of all these fearful people, you're supposed to be fearless. It's supposed to where you direct your fear. <laughs> yeah. To sort of, and again, to sort of with the, the, you know, you talked about the short term, it's also fearing the kind of lower end of the, the hierarchy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You, you should be fearing the one who's pulling the strings, um, not the, the puppets that are immediately kicking you now, but you know, you need to be fearing the one who's sovereign. Um, and, and the picture he gives us over and over again, you know, you know we talked about a couple weeks ago, this great image of Assyria. It's just a dog that God's whistling for and it's coming, you know, on command, doing what God asked for. But you know, it's God that, that's whistling for it. Um, it's God that's, that's pulling the strings of this, you know, mighty, great imperial power, the kingdom of Assyria that, that uh, Israel is putting their trust in. They're just lackeys. Um, and we're going to see in a couple of chapters that the lackeys are going to get smacked down. You know, they don't get a free pass for for exercising judgment on God's people. No, they get condemned for it. Um, but the people are supposed to put their fear in, in God. Good. What else does it mean to, to walk differently from, the, from this world? Differently from this people? 
So, fear God. Yeah, so fear God and, and trust in his word. Um, bind up the testimony. Um, what did I say about binding? I wrote it down somewhere. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I wrote something clever down about binding. but Well, I thought it was clever. Maybe it's not clever. Um, it's God's word and teaching that bind, and the kind of root idea behind bind is you're safeguarding it. Um, and seal, uh, that's authentication. So it's God's word and teaching that safeguard and authenticate our trust and hope in him. So, um, yeah, so we've got this fear God and listen, listen to him, put your trust in him um, rather than, you know, be tossed about from one conspiracy to the next. No, <laughs> don't fear the small powers, fear the one uh, who is in control. Let Yeah. Yeah, and disregarding it. Again, I sort of think of Ahaz uh, last week. We saw him, you know, God come to him and sort of say, ask me anything. No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you know, it's that, I think the discredit, I think that's a great, great word to apply this, to, to disavow, to deny that, that this is a source of power. Um, and again, it's the way, uh, it's, it's the act of rebellion in this. Um, which, which leads us to this um, stone of, of stumbling that's also a sanctuary. Verse 14, he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Um, and a, as we think about that, just think of all the times the New Testament um, cites this passage and specifically, again, applies it to Christ, um, which w- you know, we can see how Christ is both the sanctuary but he's also the, the stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Um, just to, to give you a few um, examples, um, Romans 9, 30 to 33. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So there, again, sort of Paul's putting his finger on, it's that attitude of the heart. It's the, the sanctuary and the rock are the same, but it requires faith for it to be a sanctuary. It's a lack of faith that makes it a stone of stumbling, a trust in works. For Jews, this is 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 24, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews 
and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8. So the honor is for you who believe, but not for those uh, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So, um, you know, as we close uh, chapter 8 and think about, you know, these kind of multitude of images that uh, Isaiah has given us, again, that central theme of this chapter is trust is the exercise of faith. Is Israel, are you going to put your trust in Emmanuel, God with us? Um, This, you know, source of power that's so counter to the powers of the world that, you know, a cross, that's that's the road to power, um, the path of suffering, that's the way to conquer, hmm. No, I, I, that's not what the road to power is. That's not what Misha taught us or Foucault or, you know, any other postmodern philosopher who's talked about power as the central uh, activity of human um, behavior. Uh, you know, it's so different. Um, the, the, what we're called to exercise, this trust, this faith in, um, in God among us. God with us. So as we think about this passage, um, you know, again, sort of think about all the ways that in everyday life um, we fall prey to the same kind of mindset. You know, we don't have two kings chasing us down, but we sure do fall prey to fears and conspiracy theories, and, you know, we're buffeted about by all these, these worries. Whereas Isaiah wants to direct us to the word, to the living testimony, uh, Jesus Christ, that authenticates, that seals up, that binds that message of salvation for us. So let me close this in prayer. Almighty God, we give glory and praise to you. As Luther taught us to sing, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Help us to have that kind of trust that you are present among us, that we are willing to be bold and to be emboldened before the opposing forces of this world. That when all about us is tempestuous, that we can remain fixed, firm in the faith, not washed away by conspiracies, but holding fast to your promises. And we can do so so confidently because it's not just words. It's actions. And as we see, you know, this prophetic picture here of a, a living word in, in the son, in the name of a son for Isaiah, 
what an even greater picture we possess in the living word, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, even Jesus Christ, that that is the sign which you gave us, that you are with us, and that when you are with us, who can stand against us? Help us to be a people of great faith and put our trust not in works or in our own ability to manipulate things or our own sense of righteousness, but help us to put our faith in your righteousness and to take sanctuary in you. We ask it by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, who we will continue to worship in the coming hours. Amen.